Hello, everybody. Um, my name's Rachel Tackley, and I am the executive director of Tutorista Festival Theatre, so I don't have any access to grind about London theatres whatsoever, although I have um, worked and been based in the West End previously. I'd like to introduce you to this fabulous panel, um, and we are here to discuss this completely gorgeous book, which is mine, and no one else is having it, and it's now a signed copy. Um, <laughs> this is Peter Daisley, who took the beautiful photographs. Rosemary Squire, who is um, a theatre... I would say you were um, a theatre... Um, well, you're a theatre owner, and you're a manager, but much more than that, she's an inspiration and has run and managed many theatres in the West End over a, a number of years. Mark Rylance, actor, who wrote the foreword to this aforementioned glorious book, and Michael Coveney, who um, wrote it. So, I think I'll start with you, Michael. Um, and I wanted to, to, to first talk about what was the inspiration behind writing it? What was, what was the... When was the moment when you said, I know I want to write this book? The moment I, I got a, a message... Um, that uh, Francis, from my agent, that Francis Lincoln were publishing a third volume of these wonderful photographs of London um, sites and, and hidden gems, as it were, by Peter Daisley. He's done two before, very good. And they, he'd had a bit of an overlap from the last book. He'd got inside a couple of theatres and rather caught the bug, I think, Peter, and rather overdid it. So he had some <laughs> surplus photographs. <laughs> And the, um, Andrew Dunn, the publisher, said, well, why don't we make a book of London theatres? Uh, but we must get someone kind of, kind of on the ball to write the text. So they couldn't find that person. They came to me. <laughs> and I said, I'd, I'd love to write it. And the moment I, I said yes and got involved, I absolutely loved it because there was a list of things we must do, mm -hmm. uh, sort of a list of maybes. And from that point, we sort of... Um, we had a limit of four dozen, 46 theatres, I think. That was the space allowed for the mm. spreads and the text. And we whittled it down from there. So the book's not a gazetteer. It's a selection. And it has all the great... And I, I, I divide a sort of series of chapters and demarcations between groups of theatres. Um, so we have a, the great ladies of the West End. We have the Hidden Gems. We have Eastwood Ho, which is possibly my favourite chapter, going from the Barbican right out to Wilton's and Theatre Royal Stratford East. And we had um, um, the, 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 the um, what were the other chapters? The one, the one with all the, the one at the end with <laughs> Savoy and Samantha, the Hidden Gems, yes. Um, the Grand um, and and it's about five or six, seven of them. Mm. And so we got a structure and then we went to work. Peter went into some theatres on his own, I went on my own, some we went together and had a good time. But basically, I, I discovered doing, doing it. I've spent all my life going to these theatres. I hadn't really looked at them. Mm. And um, it, it is know, extraordinary, I, I isn't got it? Addi addicted to the idea of going to theatres with no shows going on and no audiences there. Exactly. Well, I think what's really <laughs> beautiful about this book is that it's um, all the auditoria are completely empty. And of course, we never see that. Whenever we go and see a show, we, even if we're one of the first few in, there's always other people kind of mingling around. And these are entirely empty and absolutely beautiful. I wanted to ask you, Peter, what um, it must have been quite difficult to, to find time and the, the, the opportunities to go and, and photograph these theatres, but I wondered, what, what, you know, what was your favourite experience? Of well, first of all, I'd just like to say about Michael. Um, Michael really brought the book alive, which I think is really, really important. It's made a wonderful job of it. Um, most of the theatres were just incredibly generous with their time. 
Um, some of the big shows it was difficult to fit in, but in most places we got in early in the morning. The, the Wanamaker was more difficult because we had to light uh, 200 plus candles um, <laughs> as yes. part from the gap. I understand that that was auditioned by the insurance company and the London Fire Brigade before they could get going. But it, everybody was very kind. For me, as a born and bred London, I'd been to most of these theatres over the years. Um, and what really surprised me, I'd never really seen the beauty of them. Mm. And mm. to be able to wander in with a clean piece of paper and wander around and find and discover all sorts of interesting things was, was a real joy. You, you talk, Mark, in the, um, in the introduction about the relationship that an actor has, not only with the audience, but also with the actual space itself. Um, and you talk about looking up at the ceiling and seeing if there's a, if there's a circle. Um, and I just wondered if you wanted to elaborate a bit on how, that, uh, how the theatre building can affect you as a performer. Um, yeah, the, obviously the acoustics are important, but I'm, I'm meaning something else, a, a sense of being in the same room with the characters who are acting out the drama, that, that that's something that's become important for me as an audience member. I mean, that said, I certainly felt in the same room when I, when I went to Yerma recently, even though there mm -hmm. was a glass mm -hmm. wall between me and it was nothing particularly round, though there was, uh, there was an audience on the other side. But, but in, the, in the West End theatres, uh, in the larger theatres, if there's a circular pattern like this floor beneath us today, above in the auditorium, as there is here at the moment, um, that, 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 just, uh, that confirms that Matcham or some other genius like that has, has, has made a central uh, point for mm. a circle and, and we on the stage are part of a circle with the audience. And uh, that, that feels uh, very, very helpful. I, I don't really want to go to the theatre to have a lecture about why Brutus and Cassius stabbed Julius Caesar. <laughs> I want to be in the room with them yes. while they do it as if it's happening for the first time and, and sense all the chaotic uh, feelings and thoughts and emotions that go on if you're part of something like that. Mm. And um, as I say in the book, the, the, cir the, the circle is the, the way that you mm. feel. But the other thing I loved about um, reading your introduction was that you have it now written into your contract that, you, that the, the boxes, you know, when you go to the, 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 the kind of match and West End theatres and they've got the beautiful boxes and they're often full of technical equipment and that actually you, you abhor that and, and um, have you want to have that proper relationship with an, with a, with an audience to the actor. I do, yeah, I, d I do. I enjoy technical theatre. Uh, I don't often, en I rarely enjoy microphones. I certainly don't enjoy wearing yeah. them. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel they distance, they, they've already put me in a different room than you're in, than if I was sitting here speaking with my own voice. The bright lighting, which wasn't an original part of these theatres, does that very much so. I, even when gas lights came into these theatres, if it wasn't always there, they you couldn't turn them all the way down. So. We, we would have been able to see you as much as I can see you a bit now. I, and uh, so the ability to mm. talk or play with an audience rather than to them or at them or for them makes a big difference. Tho those, I'm not touched by wire, no. Tho those so those boxes, if you imagine, well, you can even see it a bit now that in the periphery, if I was lit, in the periphery of you looking at me, you can see these lovely three people standing here. And so the circle is, is completed we're aware that we're all part of a story and you're lo loaning your imagination and I'm hopefully making enough to spark your imagination. But if there isn't anyone in those boxes in the West End Theatre, then, then it's two groups um, uh, in opposition almost, passive and active. 
and that 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 just creates more difficulties for us on the stage, and I would feel in the audience for the audience as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's in yeah. my contract now. Yeah, I think it's <laughs> fascinating. It's like you know, you expect that you know an actor's contract might have something, you know, like fluffy kittens and red jelly babies or something, but no, it's you know clean, <laughs> well, clean. One, one, of one of the benefits is that some of the boxes have got r- have become rather ropey, <laughs> so the producers um, will, will very nicely yeah. allow the actors to uh, to have our guests in there for free <laughs> on a little wooden bench <laughs> at the front. Oh. And, and, uh, so that's what it's about. No, it, it yeah. wasn't about that originally. <laughs> <laughs> but that became a nicer bonus. <laughs> um, Rosemary, um, you, I, I know that you've um, r- managed many, many theatres in the West End. Um, and looking at this book, um, many of the theatres look absolutely beautiful because they are absolutely beautiful. Um, and we'll come on in, in, a, in a moment to talk about the choice between taking the beauty and, and photographing some of the backstage. Um, but I wondered, in, in your experience, how much it costs to keep these theatres in our, in, in, in our, as a part of our national heritage, mm. and but also as functioning public spaces? Well, first of all, congratulations to Peter and Michael. It's an exquisite book. Mm. And I think having spent all my working life in London theatre, um, over 35 years, it's beautiful. And mm. I think it really um, captures the treasure that we have on our doorstep here in London. Um, It's unique. London has many more diverse theatres than Broadway. Mm. Completely different, uh, with a huge history, so many buildings which are two, three hundred years old, Mm. um, and then more contemporary ones, which the book tells a great story, and I think it's been a privilege to to look at it, and I would urge you, I know there's a signing after, to uh, to get a copy and have a look. It's um, very difficult because virtually all London theatres, and as a theatre owner and operator, um, you're responsible, you're the custodian of something that's part of our national heritage, and you're looking after it maybe for five or 10 or 15 Mm. years. Um, It's almost inevitably a listed building, quite right. Uh, There was a whole phase in London in the 50s and 60s where many, many theatres after the war were raised to the ground, and we all, ha- all know about the Theatres Trust now, which is there to protect and preserve our unique theatre stock in this country, not just London, but across the country, um, and has been immensely successful so that we do have and we have saved many, many of these glorious buildings. But that said, with a listed building, um, which may be two or 300 years old, uh, you are faced with many challenges because as a 21st century audience, I certainly know um, my family, my husband and son are both well over six foot. Um, we're much bigger. I'm certainly much bigger than my grandmother was. And we need more space. And it means that the seats that were designed for audiences over 100 years ago are too small. The leg room's inadequate. And you can end up very quickly having a very, very uncomfortable experience. Plus, um, We've changed socially, you know, ideas on hydration and drinking and going to the loo has completely changed. My mother's of the generation who would say, oh, I won't have another cup of tea because you never know where the loo's going to be. Well, now we all expect every public building, quite rightly, Mm. to have plenty of loos. And the number of times I'm sure you and I, Rachel, both have spent queuing the entire interval (laughs) waiting to get into the ladies' loo. So all of these challenges have to be addressed when you are a theatre owner, an operator. You need to have um, 
uh, backstage facilities that are adequate that for wonderful actors like Mark to be able to do to do their stuff they need to have an, an adequate dressing room to have showers to have um, heat and light and for it to be of a standard that we have all expect now in a public building and how do you do that particularly in the last 25 years um, uh, many of our beautiful buildings that are in public ownership have benefited from multiple millions, many millions, mm. thank the Lord, of public money, of lottery money. But if you are in private ownership, and quite often they can be small independent groups, that you're faced with a bill, uh, we've all read about, I mean the Opera House is an extreme example, mm -hmm. but I'm quite sure that if you did the same thing to Theatre or Drury Lane, it would cost 150, 200 million pounds to actually refurbish it and bring it up to 21st century standards. Air conditioning, that's another mm. thing. You know, mm. global warming. We all don't want to be boiled to death sitting up in the top levels of the theatre. Um, we want to be reasonably comfortable. So all of these things have to be addressed mm. and really, really hard to put in air conditioning. I think what's lovely about this book is it, it, it brings out the beauty because we're very used, aren't we, to having conversations in the press or amongst ourselves about toilets and ice cream sales and whether the wine is too cold or too cheap or too, well, you know, except cheap as in nasty, not as in, <laughs> as in inexpensive. Um, and, I, um, and, and I love this book because it celebrates the, the things that we don't often celebrate and it allows us that opportunity. And I wondered, Peter and Michael, how you made the choice of which theatres to include and which not to include. You've certainly got, I mean, for example, we go as far as Richmond and Wimbledon because why wouldn't you? They're beautiful theatres and it's you know important that they're in this book, but you don't go to the Albany and Deptford, um, which is geographically. So, so, and I think that's what's lovely about the book is that it makes it a very personal experience going through it. You haven't made geographical assumptions or size assumptions. Um, and so I just wondered how you, did you sit down in a room we yes, it was a, the list that was there originally, then um, my suggestions, and then we had a series of meetings and discussions. But also it was pragmatic because some theatres were more difficult to get to than others. Um, it's not a decision about the theatres we like best at all, because there's many theatres in this book which I love as much as other th the theatres that are in it. It's just how it worked out. We had a deadline and we just <laughs> got on with it. And uh, some managements were more quick to come back than others. And uh, there were certain things that were off limits. For instance, the Apollo Theatre, in which Mark had one of his bi biggest successes, mm. uh, um, suffered this catastrophe of the collapsed ceiling. And that's still a subdued to say uh, topic as far as I can understand. So we didn't even go there. Um, very difficult to get into the Palace Theatre because it's owned by Warner Brothers now because of, um, of, of the show. But it was absolutely essential, I thought, to have that because it's the most mm. wonderful um, frontage in London. When Andrew Lloyd Webber restored it in 1983, he restored what an architectural commentator at the time uh, described when it was first built by Richard Doyle Carter as the climax of the, of the reign of terracotta. And um, 
And, and that's and it's a wonderful monument of, voc- of Gothic Victorianism, which has met, met its moment with Harry Potter, which is turned into a Hogwarts, really. Um, and so that's a, that's a great thing. And I, I was very keen to have the Open Air Theatre Regent's Park. Yeah. Um, Peter and the publisher were very keen to have the tricycle, even though the heart of it's been ripped out. The, the scaffolding as structure has been taken away in the refurbishment, which I'm sure will be marvellous, but we don't know yet. Mm-hmm. The other thing you realise, everything's in a state of evolution, you know. Uh, the Victoria Palace, one of Matcham's greatest theatres, has uh, Cameron McIntosh, who is really the hero, I think, of the whole West End restoration programme, is sp- just spent £30 million on, on, on re- get, getting it ready for Hamilton. Um, Nick Heitner's opening his new theatre mm-hmm. down the road. Uh, Nika Burns is going to open a new theatre once Crossrail is finished in, in Charing Cross Road. And um, there's also the, the Alexandra Palace, which I didn't know, even though I live quite near. I'd never been there till Peter showed me his photographs. And it's amazing, this amazing theatre, which is going to reopen sometime in the next year or so. The thing I love about the Alexandra Palace is it has a thunder roll, you know, the, 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 and there's a photograph that you have in here, Peter, isn't there? Of, is it the hay, Haymarket that no, has a... No, Her Majesty's has Her a... Her Majesty's, yes. And the play. But they've lost the cannonball, unfortunately. Oh, have they? Yeah. Which this is this, is this lovely, um, for those that don't know, a, 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 a wooden structure that just sort of zigzags backstage and you just literally let some cannonballs down it and it makes the most extraordinary noise. And I, um, I've been fortunate to hear one. And you just, you can imagine how extraordinary that must have been when it was first heard. I mean, I also remember the first time I heard a kind of like proper 3D sound and heard a helicopter going overhead and you... And, so those moments are constantly being updated, aren't they? That, that first of all, it's a, literally something very small, like a cannonball, and then it's a huge sound system. And, that, and it is fascinating how um, nothing, can ever, nothing can ever be... You couldn't possibly incorporate all the theatres in London into this book. Um, well, we are hoping if it's successful, we might have a second <laughs> edition with a few oh, more good. added. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I, I also <laughs> think uh, an, an interesting thing is how the theatres change. Mm-hmm because this is a snapshot of a moment of these theatres looking how they are. That, um, think of the National Theatre, how much that has changed. And today, particularly, we should think of of Peter Hall and his vision Mm. here and all his work here. And just how this building has changed and evolved and grown. That they're living and breathing because they are about that relationship between the performer, the artist and the audience. That it's a living, breathing uh, relationship which grows Mm. and will change. And different theatres have different appearances um, at different times with particular visions, with particular companies and who knows, the tricycle will be different. Um, Wilton's has had many different incarnations and that's what's so thrilling about these living, breathing uh, parts of our history. Could, here. could I ask, yeah. Rick, do you mind, if I ask Mark what he felt, I mean, 30 years ago, when, or 40 years ago, when I started out as a critic journalist, that uh, the West End was dying on its feet and uh, in our generation we thought that the West End was not where you went or what you were in, everything was happening at the RST, the National, mm. the Royal Court, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a sort of standoff, there was a kind of chasm uh, this chasm has been closed for all sorts of reasons, and um, you know the mixed economy uh, has, has governed many things that have happened in the development of the theatre. But I wonder, an actor, um, when you start out, do you think, well, I'm not going to be appearing in the West, and I'm going to be doing, you know, proper work in a subsidised theatre? Um, 
if we then have a commercial success, or well be it. But, but um, was the West End on your radar as a younger actor? It wasn't really, no, Michael. Maybe it was in the 70s when my parents brought me to the theatre. But even then, going to the first Rocky Horror Picture Show down on the King's Road in that old cinema, mm. that, that's the kind of event, or going out to Stratford East. It, it, was, it was finding those out-of-the-way hidden gems, as you call them. And then when I was at RADA, n no, the, w the West End, but the National also wasn't really where, where our it was worked by Mike Alfreds and people like that, and he hadn't been invited to the National yet. It, it was out in smaller theatres that one, one tended to find things, at least I found things that were ex exciting to me. Partly the West End felt unaffordable, but I wasn't really, I don't remember really being drawn to it. It was the same in New York. I wasn't really drawn in the 80s to Broadway when I mm. first acted there. Where maybe my situation's changed now, but I do find there's a lot of exciting things I'm very uh, excited to go to in the West End now. Much more so, and uh, in fact, I, hearing you speak, I, I really question also why there's a divide of public money to institutions like the National here that is doing s doing big musicals and very popular plays and fundraising and receiving a lot of extra money as well mm -hmm. as as the the government grant and charging. It's not like it's five mm -hmm. quid to get into the theatre here. So I, I I wonder why there isn't m more money to support the needs of the um, the beautiful West End theatres. Mm -hmm. They seem to work very much hand in hand and I've heard that said that you know Binky Bowman would have a hard time now in the West End because the National has taken a lot of his repertoire and mm -hmm. what, what, what people used to do. That was his big objection to it when it was formed. Was it? Was it? Absolutely. Uh, uh, they were against the National Theatre and um, then of course the National Theatre was against the Royal Shakespeare Company. Yes, right. Um, um, ironically Peter Hall, they founded the Royal Shakespeare Company, ended up mm. running the National Theatre. Yeah, they did. Um, but there, there was this big um, ideological divide, wasn't there, which seems to have melted away completely. Very much so, very and, much so. And it was when the Theatres Trust said the, these, the West End fabric needed an investment of £250 billion, I mean in 1983, and the Arts Council set, made it clear, nothing coming from us, nothing from the government, nothing, nothing from heritage or lottery, mm. which didn't exist then. Uh, that's when the West End got its act together and the owners. And the great thing about the West End is it's owned by theatre producers and people. Uh, there may be equity or, or private banking behind it, but at the top of it are people like mm. Rosemary and Howard and Andrew Lloyd Webber and Cameron McIntosh, mm. who kicked it off when Bernard Delfont said, will you come and help me do something at the Prince of Wales? And that was the first one, and then the Strand, and then he went on with his building programme. The Prince of Wales now has 17 ladies lose. Um, so I, that's, I that, that's, that's one step forward for mankind. And, and <laughs> womankind. Rosemary, <laughs> um, you, were, you were at the forefront, weren't you, of, 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 of that, um, can we get public money to, um, to preserve our theatres as part yes. of our national heritage? And I think we nearly got there. We nearly did. Um, Michael's absolutely right. Uh, it, the Theatres Trust identified that there was a real need to invest in our in infrastructure to bring it up to 20th, 21st century now um, standards. Um, 
And in London, I think, as audience members, all of you probably don't differentiate between going to whether you go to the Royal Court Theatre or you go to the Royal Opera House or you go to the Duke of York or you go to um, the Coliseum, that actually you're going to go and see the work on stage. Um, but the fact that all of those theatres are in different ownership and some of them have had hundreds of millions of public money going in to support the infrastructure and others have had none. It doesn't, doesn't resonate, I suspect, with audiences. <coughs> but uh, we got very close when I was president of the Trade Association to having a scheme that we could have, because there's no bar on lottery money being put into uh, um, privately owned organisations. It happens uh, with other, other museums, heritage properties in other, in other sectors. There's no bar on it in, in theatre. And the plan was to have some public money, some from the owners, and recognising that, it, for example, the owner of one independent or maybe two independent theatres, I'm just thinking Theatre Royal Haymarket, which is a gorgeous, one of the oldest London theatres, mm. uh, is actually owned by a foundation now, but is in private ownership, mm. that uh, having a combination and with money coming from an increased, uh, within the industry, managed by the Trade Association, funding from our levy, which goes back to reinvest in the industry. And we got very, 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 very close. And Tessa Jowell and Estelle Morris were right there with us, yeah. and we had it all agreed, and then we won the Olympics. So <laughs> that was the end yeah, of my great scheme uh -huh. for London Theatre. I think, um, I mean, that, you know, one could, one could discuss all day that whether public money should be put into buildings which are used principally for commercial prof profit. Um, but I, I, I don't suppose many people would argue with the fact, uh, with the idea of investing in our theatre buildings in order to make them more accessible. Um, and certainly a lot of the West End the theatres in this book are very inaccessible um, to anybody with any kind of mobility difficulty, um, unlike many of the publicly funded buildings. Mm -hmm. And I just wondered whether you had any views, either Peter or Michael, and in terms of, of, of theatres that you have seen work very well in terms of accessibility or ones that you think with a bit of money spent on it we could we could actually make some significant improvements i don't really know about that i think everyone makes a real effort and most most theaters make provision don't they for um uh, disabled access and yeah, i mean the, the problem is that they're fundamentally built long and tall and high um, mm. and are very Inaccessible. Though I loved the bit in the book about um, when you, I can't remember which, which theatre you were talking about, about how the audience um, in the circle tends to go in at ground level, whereas the, uh, um, the hoi polloi have to go downstairs. And I'd never really thought about it, but then I started thinking about all the West End theatres that I've been to and thinking, that's really true, isn't it? Um, yeah, separate access. If you go somewhere mm. like the Hackney Empire, which is a great matchroom theatre, th there's still the balcony entrance yep. at the side, mm. um, and they still mm. use it. Yes, um, when I first started at Wyndham, there was a balcony entrance and an upper circle entrance. And it doesn't have carpets, does it? <laughs> no, no, no. stone stairs. Who yeah. needs carpets? You, know? yeah. mm -hmm. you don't need them. When I first went to the West End, you used to be able to put out your stall outside the Garrick Theatre, you know, and then you'd come back and... Um, I'm going back into the mists of time. <laughs> but, I mean, everything's changed. Everyone goes to the same entrance now, Mostly, I mean, there, there used to be different, as you say, at the Palladium, you'd go in at ground level was where the circle was, and then it was down to the pit, mm. and then up the side and up to the gallery. Mm. Uh, but now there's a de dem democratisation mm. of that, and we mm. all go through the same door and go to the same 
um, facilities and there's marvellous bars on every level normally. And I think it's true to say though, isn't it, that when the Arts Council and Heritage Lottery have invested in our theatres, so for example the Royal Court, it turns something which was very inaccessible into something which is much more accessible. Um, and I would personally love to see an opportunity for us to be able to do that in, our West, in, in all of our West End theatres. I um, would agree. I think I, I was approached, uh, I'm on the National Council of the Arts Council, and Jenny Seeley, who is... Um, uh, She's artistic director, artistic of, Grey director of Grey Eye, came to see me because she said, you know about West End theatres, you've run some West End theatres, I've got this fantastic project, and she described the project to me, um, we want to do it, we don't want to be in, a, in some fringe studio theatre, we want a proper West End production, where should we go? And she listed the challenges of the accessibility issues of the members of the cast. And with shame, I have to say with terrible shame, there was not a single West End theatre that could accommodate it. Um, yes, we could have gone to the Opera House or we could have come to the National or we could have come to the Royal Court, mm. but in the West End, West End, we couldn't find anywhere mm. at all. Maybe the new St James's, well, the uh, other, palace. other palace. But that's not really the West End and that's mm. not what she wanted. Mm. And I do think that mm. that is something we should address. I think uh, for the audience members who have mobility issues, um, there are challenges in virtually all West End theatres. Many of them find innovative ways around it, but we could do better mm. and we should do better. And I'll still carry on campaigning for public money into London theatres. And we would hope you would. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you um, so much. I just, we, we need to wrap it up there. Um, I can only urge you to buy this book. It's absolutely glorious. I left it on my coffee table and at least six people have picked it up and wanted to buy a copy. I was sitting in the stage door waiting to come here and um, I think I've already sold another copy. So um, it's absolutely glorious. It's, um, it's really inexpensive and I urge you um, to go. Um, Michael and Peter will be doing a signing at the National Theatre Bookshop directly after this. So if you want a signed copy, then now's your chance. Um, so it, um, I'd like to thank you all so much for coming. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm losing my voice. And, uh, and, and talking to us this evening. Um, and if you'd like to give uh, a panel a round of applause, please. <laughs>